Coming up, readings beyond the raffle and Theoryland approved conjecture. Deep dive into the spells and scrolls of nerd culture. Absorb Stormlight. Home sympathy. Harness Sayadar and Sayadeen. This is Phantology. You may have heard of us. What's up, Mervidons? This is Steven, your host with Anthology Podcast. I have my lifelong friends, Ryan and Josh, on to chat about Empire of Silence by Christopher Rucchio, first book of the Sun Eater series, which is six or seven books long. And, and so we're just kind of getting into the series. We did this one as a book club book in our Discord. And if you like what we're doing and you want to be, you know, get into a little community with some uh, other like-minded folks, then you can join our Discord and and we do not every month, but maybe like every other month, we do a book club and we do some conversations around it. And this one, we had a lot of folks on and a lot of interest and I think kind of a lot of different opinions. So it should be a good one to talk about. And I do reserve the right to steal your opinion if you have a good one and <laughs> use it on the podcast. Although I will try to say like someone on our Discord thought this. <laughs> I actually wasn't able to join either of the chats. So they they were pretty good though, Stephen. Yeah, they're always really good. There's usually we had been getting like five or six. This one I think we had like six or seven. So a little you know, the the book club is growing a little bit and we just kind of like walk through the book, interesting things, things that stood out to people, likes, dislikes, whatever. And it's fun to kind of connect with folks around the world even and get a little, you know, fancy book club going virtually we had a couple people join our discord specifically because they heard we were reading this book yeah that usually happens yeah if we if we advertise for whatever book we're doing usually we find a few that hop on just for that anyway that all said you know tooting our own horn here but uh, what'd you guys think of the book so i think that this is really kind of slept on i don't know i like i haven't heard too many people talk about this series I know Daniel Green started uh, reading it, which is kind of where I was exposed to it as as well. He started doing reviews on it, mm. and and he's reviewed them, I think, pretty highly. He does spoiler sections, so I don't know his complete thoughts because I obviously, you know, clicked off when we got to those spoiler portions. But so that kind of put it on my radar, and then so I was like, okay, kind of put it on my TBR. And then when we decided to do it for book club, I was like, I was excited about it, and this is really good. Like I think that this has the makings of being, you know, kind of like one of those classics maybe in the genre. Like, I, I don't know if classic. I mean, like on the level of like Tolkien or, or like staple, uh, like, like, yeah, I don't know if that yeah, level, one, but I think like one of the first recommendations that you would give type thing. Yeah. I, I think if somebody, yeah, I think that personally, I mean, we'll see how the series goes, but the first book I really enjoyed. And if it keeps being this good, then I think, you know, I'd probably recommend, it would be one of my first recommendations for like a, if somebody said, hey, what's a book like Star Wars I can get into? You know, like what's a space space opera type thing? I really, really like it. Liked it. So that's my overview of the first book. I thought it was, I thought it was really well done. I think I'm 
pretty similar to Josh, maybe like a slight step down. I thought it was pretty good. I, I think that it has a lot of various books that I really enjoyed kind of mixed in. Yeah. So, I mean, may maybe that might be a negative for somebody if it like reminds you so strongly, but it had a lot of world building elements from Dune and, you know, other elements that reminded me strongly of Red Rising, as well as Name of the Wind. And those are those are three books. Well, Red Rising and Name of the Wind, I really like. Dune, don't come at me, but I, I wasn't the biggest fan of Dune. I really like the world, though. And no, Ryan, I, a little crazy. I agree. I didn't like the book. I thought the new movie was awesome part one part two comes out in like two weeks right now excited to see it but the book i didn't think was very good like maybe it was awesome 50 years ago 60 years ago yeah but, yeah you are just set, setting yourself up for all the hate <laughs> i think that this took a lot of good elements from it and kind of implemented it and, and and christopher how do you pronounce his last name i think it's rokio there's kind of like I'm just going off what the, what they said on the Audible, and okay. it kind of sounded like there were three syllables. Well, it implemented it in Christopher Rocchio's yeah. in his own way that I, I liked quite a bit. And the prose, I think, is a bit verbose, which I ended up liking. And I think it's it, it goes along with, you know, it's a first-person narrative, and so it fits the protagonist's voice. A bit along with the pros i really agree that i i feel like it felt intentional instead of just having a word count just for word a word count mm. compared and, and i personally like it a little bit more than like maybe the style of red rising which is just like very short and snippy and to the point it didn't feel like oh dang oh shoot what's the the other series that we started the one with the dragons um oh man the one Waking with the dragons Fire? that's that's really specific, Ryan? Josh. <laughs> no, 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 oh, no. Fourth we, Wing? We no, no, no. We read it a few months ago for book club, the first book. And then I said I The Waking after. Fire? No, it's the... He's thinking of the series that you liked more than us, Ryan, the Aragon series. The first book is like exactly like Aragon. Oh, um... A fire of and Blood and Fire. Broken. Of Blood of, and Fire. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Of Blood and Fire. Not fire and blood. That's the TV show. Yeah. So, so not, so not to uh, throw too much shade at that series, but I feel like that kind of had a lot of words just for having a lot of words, which is something that I, that I noticed myself doing in my writing too. So it's not like, you know, um, I'm trying to be too critical, but I feel like this had a lot of like verbosity, mm. verbosity for like intentionally because the main character is that way. You know what I mean? Versus sure. And maybe, or even like, reading if you want to throw like, like Wheel of Time has way too many words. Yeah, but this I, one, I mean, come at me, I guess. But like, I love Wheel of Time, but I think it has too many words. Yeah, this one, it, it felt like somebody, it, it felt like somebody who is very full of themselves, recounting a story where they they might, you know, try and make the recounting very impressive, and uh, <laughs> a certain political leader may do this when when they speak about about events josh doesn't every political leader do this when they <laughs> yeah, speak yeah anyway uh yes po political leaders in general will do this when yeah. they speak but um that's anyway, like the I, requirement for being a political leader you have to be able to yeah. stand up there sure, talk about sure. nothing 
make a bunch of vagaries and sound awesome and everyone loves you. That's that's sure. how you be a political leader. Steven just did a good job of saving Josh right there. <laughs> I, I, actually, you're right. A, a few different high profile political leaders do this. You're correct. Josh, every political leader does this. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah, we can we can move on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so let's let's just like knock out a few specifics for what the book is. So it's more sci-fi than fantasy, although I do kind of want to ask you guys what you think about that classification because obviously you know obviously sci-fi there it's more of a galactic adventure there are different planets even in this book there are different alien races but there were some comments on uh, book club that were like i thought this you know other than the aliens and planets it seemed like more of a fantasy adventure than a sci-fi adventure which i thought was interesting and, and, and we can discuss it's first person, like you mentioned, it's a narrative. There's a little bit of a framing story to it, but it's really vague. It's like he is way in the future, kind of looking back at his life and and he offers like a few specific details every now and then and some foreshadowing that was also compared to Stephen King on the book club, which I thought was interesting. I, I haven't read Stephen King, so maybe Josh can comment on that when we get to that part. Uh, what what else would you say about it? I, I mean, the, the the narrative structure, like you said, Ryan, is really similar to Name of the Wind, especially through like the first half or so. There are a lot of things that are like, OK, this is this part of the Name of the Wind. This is this part of Name of the Wind. I didn't see that as much in the second half of the book, and I have no idea what happens in the rest of the series. But it did seem like there were some some like pretty on the nose similarities, which I wasn't bothered by too much. Like I love Name of the Wind. I think maybe there were a few times where I was like, this is just like, like this thing is, is this other thing from, from Rothfuss. And I don't know, that seems a little too on the nose, but you know, it, it wasn't too much. There were some things from Dune that were very similar that like Jake pointed out, he couldn't make it tonight, but I think he would have brought that up. Uh, some specific things that kind of bugged him that he thought were a little too similar. So yeah, a lot of things, a lot of books and stories kind of mashed together, but really like, you know, there's no, purely original story a lot of the a lot of the stories you read are all are all uh combinations of other stuff so so there's kind of high level my blabberings about what the first book was at least <laughs> yeah i think that the other uh, that another comparison is star wars the author uh christopher rukio or um sorry for the mispronunciation of the last name he has a little seven minute recap mm. in his youtube video and he said he kind of was thinking what would happen? And I guess this is kind of, this is a pitch that he would give. So it's kind of getting into spoilers. So if you're super, mm-hmm. super spoiler sensitive, anyway, he said, it's kind of like uh, the story of Anakin becoming Darth Vader only being justified in doing so, which is also kind of, from what I understand the story of Dune after the, I've only read the first book, but you know, a similar arc kind of happens in Dune. I think, mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, I think another good comp is star Wars. It's very space opera ish of, you know, traveling the galaxy and universe and finding other civilizations and a hero's journey uh, tucked into that. It definitely a big hero's journey book. So it has a lot of the classical things that, and that's why maybe like you said, it's a good recommend because I think a lot of people that maybe aren't like super versed in fantasy or just looking for a fun story, like you're going to pretty quickly latch on to a lot of uh, things that you've seen before in other Ryan, anything to add from your, I mean, you, honestly, you guys, I think were more positive. Like I liked it. I thought it has a lot of potential, but there were some things that kind of bugged me about it. Not, not things that I mentioned before. Like I wasn't too bugged by the similarities, 
some other things we can get into. So like if I was to rate it, I'd probably say like seven out of 10, but I feel like the series could get better from here. So I'm on board to keep on reading. Yeah, I'd probably rate it similarly, maybe like 7.5 out of 10. So I, I think that the ending wasn't quite as exciting as I wanted it to be. It was, there was a lot of like build up and kind of meandering in interesting ways throughout the story. Mm -hmm. But the ending seemed like a little like abrupt and it like kind of went in a different direction than I expected it to. Not that unexpected endings are bad, but it I guess it just didn't feel like totally polished. And 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 maybe that that prevented me from enjoying it to the fullest. Yeah, I think I will agree that the ending did feel a little bit rushed, maybe. Um, or like Ryan said, maybe not as polished. And I think I would honestly give it a similar rating to you guys, seven and a half, maybe eight out of ten. With the caveat being that I think a book like this is really, really hard to do well. And maybe it's just because I don't read as much in this genre as I do in fantasy, but I feel like this was a big swing and it could have been a really big miss, but it wasn't. It like it was a solid hit, you know? So like a seven and a half, sure. maybe eight out of ten for me. Again, with with big risks and and I think that this setting up the series uh, did, doing a really good job for setting up the rest of the series and and for doing what it did in a really doing it really well which is I think is difficult to do but in terms of actual enjoyment factor it's not like my preferred cup of tea so it, it's gonna you know get brought down a little bit by that and it also let's mention like this was published when he was 22 so uh, I expect the series to get better as he gets more experience like it. And for uh, something written by a 22-year-old, like it's really awesome. Mm -hmm. What What is it about that, that you say it's not your cup of tea, Josh? Just you're not as into sci-fi stories? Yeah, I feel like I read more fantasy than sci-fi. And I do I do like sci-fi. Like I, I like a lot of Orson Scott Card. I, but it's not like I need to be, I think I just need to be convinced more to read sci-fi. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is. I think it's just... I, I don't know. I think I just gravitate a little bit more towards fantasy on the sci-fi fantasy spectrum. So then do you disagree with what Stephen was saying earlier about um, certain people in the book club felt like even though it was a sci-fi setting, it was like a fantasy story? No, because a lot of people, sci-fi, especially sci-fi books like this that way in the future, blurred those lines a lot more. You know, because they take so many liberties with the science aspect of it that, like, it does kind of meld into uh, fantasy territory. Bas like Star the technology Wars, technology is basically magic, right? Yeah, it's basically magic. Like Star Wars would do this, and they obviously have the Force, which makes it even more on the fantasy spectrum of it. But I think mm -hmm. that like space operas in general can kind of be pushed into that. They blur those lines more into that fantasy space, right? Like there are different planets, but it's not like we spend a whole lot of time journeying around in space, at least um, in, in this book. So what's the difference between going to a different planet and hopping on a horse and going to a different city in a fantasy book? Like, there's really not too much. And there's cool technology, but at the same time, it's way in the future. It's kind of hand wavy, so it might as well just be magic. It's basically fantasy, and it follows, the, like I said, it follows the structure of Name of the Wind, which is totally fantasy. And if you just kind of blur the line, blur the details of things it's it's very very similar so yeah i, I could see that it's interesting mm -hmm. because i found myself imagining like the setting at 
points and like the characters as you know like speaking like almost in like a medieval castle you know like a dungeon or like walking past like stone walls things like that but then Yeah. there are certain aspects of like the technology like the timeline that like ve are very entrenched in sci-fi in my mind so it was it was interesting how like i don't know how you know like th there were just two very different paths that my mind went in different settings so i mean but it's the same story There's some settings that are very like futuristic and sterile and shiny. And there are other settings that are grimy and yeah yeah. I, and i can i can go more into them yeah. And it doesn't help that it, it draws upon a lot of like Roman and Greek naming things. And there's, and the whole book is, if you listen to the audiobook, it's read by this guy who kind of has this like, uh, what, what would you call the tone of voice? Like this, imperial-esque like kind of just this you know almost like, almost like you'd imagine like a roman caesar speaking to you type thing so i i feel like it really lends itself to that but then yeah like you say every now and then it kind of pops into this like oh this is like definitely in the future and the technology is here and it's sci-fi yeah so it's kind of back and forth Mm -hmm. i'm excited to get into the spoiler section let's do it all right spoilers Spoilers are happening now. So if you haven't read, go check it out. We we recommend the book. And we've heard the series gets better as well. People in the book club were saying that that have read further. So um and and there's six books out, I want to say, like, or maybe five, and the six comes out soon. Anyway, there are several. Mm -hmm. Uh if you want the details, go look it up. Anyway, uh, let's get into spoilers. So where do you want to go with this first? There's I put down a few different discussion points. What what kind of jumps out at you? I think we could start at the beginning with the similarities, like the similar setup to Dune. It you know you have this uh, kind of highborn family. You get this. You get a typical structure of him kind of kicking against the pricks a little bit, like trying to find his place in the family. And mm. you know all of this felt very familiar. And you know I I think it bugged Jake more than it bugged us maybe. I, I didn't hate it. And it, it was a way to kind of ease you into the story. You know, you set up this conflict with his brother, which is always easy to care about, you know, a conflict between brothers and you set up this kind of uh, antagonistic relationship with his dad. I don't know, like it set up all these good things that again, were very, a nice low introduction to the world. The, the only thing is, I don't know if that's a great representation for the rest of the book, which I don't know if it needs to be, but it was kind of a jarring, you know, I, I don't know how I'll feel about that. If none of the, that setup really comes into play in later mm -hmm. books, I don't know how I would feel about that, which it didn't really come into play for yeah. this book. I feel like that's a bit of a topic we can get into either now or later is there were like distinct parts to the book and it mm -hmm. would just kind of like, be like okay this part is over we're going to jump forward into the next part most of most if not all of the characters are like left behind and maybe mentioned every now and then but like this part of the story is over and it's hard to say like how much it matters because we're going on yeah that's so the settings are like so defined like when he's his interactions with his father and his brother you know reminded me a lot of like you know, royalty. I mean, they essentially were like royalty, but in like sci-fi. So that was sort of like fantasy for me. 
but then the things that were gave it a very sci-fi feel in this sense were like which i really liked are the aging how people age so differently like mm -hmm. even like they're genetically designed to age to the point where his grandma is i don't know like 800 years old his dad is over 100 years old I, I don't know exactly how much but then the separation between like the first and second part you don't realize until later on but that's like i don't know 30 years have passed by or something right. like that it's like 35 years i think mm -hmm. and so it's like suddenly you're when you realize that you're like wow like his family back home he's been gone for a long time so much has happened like mm -hmm. Crispin could be, you know, I don't know, married with his own kids. Probably not based on how like slow the time moves for or like even though they they live or because they live longer, it almost makes them age slower, I think. So that I don't know. That, I mean, that was kind of like part of the sci fi feel that I really liked. Yeah, but I, I agree with what Stephen felt or what Stephen said is, you know, parts are like like so well defined you know it's almost like you have a curtain comes down and it's like part two mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah i agree with that and that is kind of where it does tie into like other quote-unquote space operas is having i feel like those kind of more well-defined portions i think you're talking about the aging and that was one of my favorite aspects of the book that tied in from the beginning to the middle end-ish kind of thing was it's interesting at the beginning you thought that a lot of his authority or power would come from his family's um, position, like political position. You know, it had him speaking to like the miners, I think it was, and making a decision kind of like how you would see maybe like a, like a prince or future ruler kind of making a decision about like a quarrel or whatever. You know what I mean? That's kind of like a typical tropey fantasy thing to have happen. And so you, you kind of got like at the beginning of the book, I got the impression that he would be important because of those typical things. And it turns out towards the ending of the book that none of that mattered. He was stripped kind of all of that titles, but just because of his genetics, the way that he was bred, that he was still like really important so much so that he would be, you know, basically becoming like a prince of a planet or whatever, being married off to like a princess, you know what I mean? Just because mm -hmm. of the genetics, even without any of his titles. I thought that that was a cool world building thing of showing that like you know these these genetic lines and the way that people are bred is very 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 valuable even more than like what they're in charge of or what they rule over that mattered his ability to speak Sielsen mm -hmm. mattered and the setup with the chandri and the scolius and like that whole explanation that we got at the beginning and and gibson like just kind of like the shadow of of Gibson, who was his real father figure, mattered. But in the first book, like nothing else, I can't really point to anything else that is super important from the whole setup, which was like a lengthy amount of time in the book. I think I think it still did a decently good job at introducing his character. Sorry to cut you off. Like no, yeah, yeah, sure. Like kind of an himself, entitled, yeah. like kind of an entitled, like a little bit entitled, a little bit impulsive, a little bit, you know, like maybe thinking too much of himself to the detriment of those around yeah. him. And yeah. and I think it, the book does a really good job of developing Adrian's character. And you see like, yeah, he starts off that way and he kind of goes through his period in the slums. Right. And 
and he changes and he goes through his period with the gladiators and the uh, myrmidons and he changes and then he goes through the period where he's uh you know basically serving as the interrogator of the Cielsen as they're being tortured and like that's obviously so i i think his character has a good arc even in this like one book which is uh, which is apparently a short amount of time in his life i mean you you say that he changes but how how is hadrian at the end of the book different from hadrian at the beginning of the book so you, okay so ryan dis- ryan disagrees <laughs> um i feel like i feel like at the beginning he had no life experience and he's more obnoxious than he was at the end like i, I mean i want to say that he i felt that he was a little more mature a little more self-aware than he was at the beginning but it's also i don't know it, because it's all being written from the future, you know, being written yeah. by this like thousand year old Hadrian. So maybe that yeah. change is like really hard to represent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, well that, I mean, I, I, I think Stephen kind of did, did say what I was going to say is that, you know, it's like the narrator is Hadrian 1500 years later. And so I guess it's kind of it might be difficult to see how Hadrian like at the part of the story is changing because the same Hadrian is like narrating the action. So he's, and, and he's frequently like, you know, talk, he has like his own asides to the reader. He's like, you know, I would come to re- really regret this decision because of X, Y, and Z, or like this person was incredibly important to the rest of my life. And this is what the, those parts are what Stephen or somebody in our discord had mentioned was similar to Stephen King's uh, writing, but at times it could be a bit jarring as, you know, the reader to be like, Oh, like that's, Mm -hmm. you know, like that's, what's going to happen way down the line. I didn't like that. I I didn't like that choice really like at all. Yeah. I, I thought that it was intriguing, but like I said, it could be jarring. I think there's a difference between setting up your foreshadowing in kind of like a mysterious way or leaving breadcrumbs mm-hmm. and saying, this person is important, pay attention to them, like yeah. blaring sirens around. Like, I just didn't, there was no subtlety in that. And it was, give us the Stephen King perspective, Josh. Yeah, I'll disagree with you guys. So for one thing, I just want to say in terms of how he changed, I do think that he uh, changed through his actions. I will agree it is a little bit hard because it is him telling the story. So I, it's weird because the tone doesn't really change, but I think he takes his allies less for granted. I think he's a lot more grateful to people that do help him than he was mm-hmm. like at the beginning of the book. I think that he shows a lot of growth throughout the book um, as demonstrated, you know, just by the way that he treats characters around him. But uh, we kind of moved on past that. So I did not, I, I liked, I think I would say I liked on that the foreshadowing one i think it gives it a grander scale and hopefully that pays off like if it doesn't pay off then maybe i might dislike it more but it's the same thing in the name of the wind king killer if if a lot of those foreshadowing things don't pay disagree, off it's disagree though it's disagree i disagree okay. because of because of the explanation that i gave before in in name of the wind it's not like this is what's going to happen so pay attention to this character because they're important it's more like I did this thing, but it's like, you know, a sentence or a word or something. And then you're watching for that when it comes up or whatever, but you, you don't know 
the the foreshadowing itself does not indicate to you directly like this is what's going to happen and here's why well, this it's, character it's is a important. different it, while it is a similar framing stru- structure it's a it's a different it's a different narrative structure because he doesn't usually break in name of the wind mid-story to tell you something it, like the narration right. the, is the different. framing yeah the framing the, story is very different yeah yeah so so i i think that there are some differences there but i'm just saying like it, I, I'm just saying if the payoffs happen in this book, then I think it would be well worth it. Like if what he actually said happens does happen in a satisfying way, then I think it will be worth it. Whereas same thing in the name of the wind. I think if like, if we don't get the answers to a lot of those questions or right. a lot of the narrative things, then it will also be disappointing. But the reason why I like it is because I think it gives it a grander sense of scale than what you would otherwise get. So just being kind of reminded that, yeah, right now we are kind of just dealing with one planet or, or like um, like we're working on a smaller scale, that what's happening now will have massive implications for like the future of like the galaxy and like universe as a whole. And so maybe it is a little clunky or heavy handed, but I, I think for me, it built in that sense of scale to the book. And I think that there, it'll be interesting to see how it plays off because in a 1500 year time, even with like seven books, seven epic books, you're, you're still going to have a lot of events that aren't included. And so it'll be interesting to see if the events that Hadrian talks about are going to be like so pivotal, pivotal that it's like spoiling significant unfoldings that occur or if if those are more like the actual event itself isn't as important as the repercussions afterwards if that makes sense that's that's what i think that books that do this well which i'm struggling to think of examples books that really do this well they will spoil something big but by the time you get there you already know that that thing's going to happen but you really care about the impacts of that thing happening and like the, the, un, how that unfolds and how that affect the, affects the characters. I can think of a good one right now. Yeah. Go ahead. Blood song. Yeah. Blood song is a great example. At least the books I've read of it. I haven't read the. I'm trying in the first, in the first, the book, ending I'm of the to... first book. I don't want to, I don't want to spoil it. So I'll, I'll have to, I'll have to okay. tell you. It's been a while since I've read the book. I don't know if I remember. Yeah. I'll have to tell you offline. Okay. And, and again, Stephen King does a really good job of this. He will spoil it, it. A lot of times it's not quite as heavy handed. Like it'll be like, and that's the last time I saw this person alive. You know what I mean? And stuff like that. And then you find out a couple more chapters, like how that person dies or whatever. Like it's more along the lines of, of spoiling it like that. But I feel like Stephen King, again, it does a really good job of building that tension of like, now you're just ready. Like you're, you're, expecting that person to die and Mm. and maybe the death isn't like the actual thing you're waiting for now it's dang how does that death affect the story and the characters and Mm. and it sets up a little bit more like anxiety around it i think the reason why i didn't like it in this book was because i can think of at least two times probably more where the characters introduced and they're described in they're, they're described in the sense of like this is the impact this character will have into the future and I just feel like it's kind of a cheap way of characterizing someone because then I'm learning about the character through the lens of this person is really conniving. And I know this because 
he just flat out told me, and I'm talking about Anais right here, like when Anais gets introduced, he's like, this character is basically going to be Cersei Lannister. And so now I'm like, okay, like that's who the character is. I don't really need to invest any time trying to learn the subtleties of who the character is. I already know who it is. I've got a vision of that, like done. I, I don't like that. And then at the end of the book with that same character, he's like, that was the last time I ever saw her. Yeah. You're like, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Well, we know that there's never going to be like any, any, well, I don't think there's going to be consequences of him kind of like snaking his way out of this arranged marriage and out of the ha hand of this. Although that is interesting because planet. we know that she's impactful in the future somehow, but now we also know that he never saw her again. So that that's interesting. It's like, I, I, I'm not saying it's all bad. I just felt like there were sometimes, and the, the biggest thing that bugged me was when I felt like it was just kind of used as a way to characterize people and point out who is important. Because another one of my criticisms was I felt like there were a lot of characters and we left a lot of them in the dust. And the only way that, like after reading the first book, the only way that I have to know if someone is important or not is if he commented on them being important in his future. Otherwise, I'm like, okay, no comment. Probably not going to show up again. Do you think um, if he hadn't have said, like, right when he met Valka, like, how much he would, like, I guess, love her throughout, uh -huh. you know, his whole life or whatever, do you think you would have recognized how important she was later on? Because I don't think I would have. Well, she was basically the second half of the book. I mean, with the whole, like, she she was the, she must have been the character that got the most screen time outside of Hadrian. Yeah, I, I don't know. I... But she did get the Denna introduction, which obviously, like, clued you in right away. Which I, I thought that was fine, because it was, by the time the book was over, it was very obvious how important she was. Uh, but I, again, I do think that it was, it did help to build the, build her character out and help you to know to pay attention to her. I, what do you think of the argument, Stephen, of and Ryan, of um, this is how you would kind of naturally tell a story if you were telling, if you were talking to people, say he's, you know, kind of presenting it for the history books or like presenting it to the people alive 1500 years from now. I feel like that's mm -hmm. how I would naturally tell a story of being like, oh, you know, my buddy, Stephen, like we had a great podcast that we did for 10, 15, 30 years together that he eventually grew up to be the biggest yeah. podcast in the world. You know what I mean? Spoilers. Like, you're, you're hearing it now. Yeah. But, <laughs> well, yeah. an orally told story is different from like a written story. Right. But it's being the, again, the narrative like framing is that it is kind of like, here's my history. Let me like describe it to you and not, and, and I feel like that's how you would describe, you know, kind of the, that's how you would go about doing it. And he does kind of say, and you know, this is my memory lapse, or I don't remember exactly what happened during this time. He kind of walks that mm -hmm. line of being like believable and unbelievable of like, okay, well, how does he, what's fabricated? So, what's not. So you feel like, okay. So you feel like it was not like a purposeful, unreliable narrator, like name of the wind most likely is because part of name of the wind is you really have to kind of like suspend belief that someone's actually like, regurgitating this story verbatim right yeah i think it i think it might be a little bit of unreliable narrator i think it's more like the victors write the history you know which is obviously like an unreliable narrator perspective mm. but i think he's obviously telling it as someone who was a conqueror recounting how they conquered 
you know? And so maybe everything that he's saying like did actually happen, but it's missing big, you know, big parts of the picture, which would recontextualize a lot. And you kind of already get that recontextualization at the ending of the book. I think that's fair. Is I feel like if anything, he's biased against himself. You know, he, he's kind of like it's definitely a lot of self-loathing in it. Yeah, he's like, man, if somebody would have just strangled me in my crib, the world would have been a better place. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, but he, he'll also say he like talks kind of outside of both both sides of his mouth, if I remember correctly, of being like, I did terrible things, but I did them not like for good reasons, but I I did them out of necessity. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and maybe if I wasn't there, nobody would have been there to do that terrible thing. But then I, what I situation would of, be in now? I can't think of a single instance in which he's like, man, I did this and the world turned out to be a much better place because of it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. We'll see how, we'll see how it goes. I mean, obviously he's like, you know, a genocide, like he commits genocide. He like, you know, he destroys a son. Right. So it's kind of, it's kind he of eats like, it. he eats the eats sun. It. Yeah. I don't know, man. We'll see. I, I'm, but that's, what's intriguing to me. That's like what, what makes me want to keep reading. I'm intrigued so I'm, too. I'm, I'm happy I was, about it. I was very, I was very interested in the book. I feel like I finished the book very quickly and jumped into the second book and lost some momentum. But anyways, that's, that's kind of an aside. We're, we're talking about book one, not book two. I won't get into mm. that. Spoilers for the book two review. <laughs> Ryan's pulling a Hadrian on us. <laughs> and that's when I realized that <laughs> this was not. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys like, like, did you like Hadrian? Is he someone that you, after reading the book, you're like, I like this person or this person's annoying. What are your impressions of him? I thought he was interesting. I, I don't know that I liked him as much as I like Darrow. Sure. I don't like Darrow. I'm, oh, after my first re- I only read the first book, but Darrow's annoying. Darrow's, Darrow's more charismatic. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Fair enough. I like is a really interesting word because I'm right. very, I'm very interested in a story and I'm some parts of it. I can really sympathize with and other parts. I'm just like, okay, how is this person going to become Darth Vader, you know what I mean? Like how, mm. what, what are the steps? Like he seems like a decent guy. What, what's going to get him from where he is now to where he, we know he's going to be. And so it's hard to really like him, but it's, it makes yeah. it for a really compelling person to follow. No, I, I just asked that because I think we agree that he's a pretty good character, but in a lot of stories, especially first person stories, I find myself getting attached to whoever the first person is like, like quote is, you know, a, decent i don't know how much i like him either but he's someone you really can get attached to because you're in his head so much like harry dresden someone that you really start to develop an attachment for even like this is weird but when i was reading the broken empire like i had some weird jorg of anger i was like i want jorg to do well for some reason (laughs) even though he's like a terrible person and it's like if you spend enough time in someone's head you just start to cheer for them because you realize that like no one is a true monster i I don't know. In first law, like you're not in you're not in Galactus head in a first person way, but you are in a you you get um a lot of his inner monologue and you really start to sympathize with him. But I would say like Hadrian, I didn't I didn't like him as much. Like if he was to drop dead in the second book, which obviously is not gonna happen, you know, I wouldn't be like crushed. I I would be pretty sad. 
I'm getting choked up just thinking about it. So, right, okay, so you you did like him. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I, I think that, like I said, he's, he's interesting. I wouldn't say that I loved him as a character, but I don't think that there's any other character that I liked more than him. True. I think Valka. I think I, I was more attached to Valka. Man, that's a different... <laughs> I didn't like her very much. I liked, I liked her. her. I guess I liked her a normal amount, but not as much as we were supposed to like her. Right. Huh. I didn't fall that's in love with her like Hadrian did. But before we get to Valka, I've thought about the thing with Hadrian for a while. Okay. Because I, I think it's really interesting because there's a lot of similarities. And because I, I love Name of the Wind. I'm going to be biased towards Name of the Wind. There's a lot of similarities between the two books, the narrative structure and the way that it's written and everything. But I just felt way more attached to Quoth's character. And I feel like there's just not the level of emotional depth that feels required based off the events that are happening. Like he gets marooned and left for dead. And then he's like alone in the city, in the homeless state. And he picks up his, you know, the only friend that he has slash kind of girlfriend, cat. And she dies, but he's never like too despairing. There's even like a line where he's, when he's homeless in the city, he's like, these were really hard times, but I was happy. And it just seemed really weird to me. There, there were, it, it just like missed that like really mature understanding of like the emotions that you might be going through in some of these situations. Yeah. I think that like prevented me from really getting attached. Well, I think it, once again, he's, telling it from the perspective of 1500 year old hadrian barlow yeah right like so that's yeah i think so he's these a little more specific detached. things Time aren't like as emotional to him and you know that's interesting that you bring up that part because like i definitely remember that line i think it shows like what hadrian values and it seems like uh, he values like most of all is like the freedom to make his own choices and like even though like so much bad stuff was happening around him like during that part of the book like people are dying from the plague like at least he had the freedom to choose that like at least when he was a myrmidon in the arena he chose to be a myrmidon but like later on when he's kind of trapped by this count in this marriage he didn't choose that and suddenly he doesn't really have any choices that like can get him out of that which i mean I was kind of like, you know, Anais doesn't seem that bad. Like, and she's described as being like super hot, you know, yeah, like, she's hot. Would, and, like, would really it really smart, be man. that bad to be like a stud for some hot girl? And then you can be like consort and have your own world. Like, you know, it's not my story, but if it was, it probably would have ended there. <laughs> and he lived happily ever after until the Cielsen came and conquered their world. Uh, yeah, no, I think that's a fairy bottle. It's just not a story that I connect with as much as other stories mm -hmm. where, and may, yeah, maybe a lot of it is one due to the character's values and two due to the, the temporal lapse there. That's really like detached him from, from whatever emotions he was feeling back then. That's all fair, but yeah, it does seem more of like a factual account than an emotional account of his yeah. history. And I guess the reason why I like first person narratives is because you can get more attached to the emotions because you're in the person's head and you can mm -hmm. really like feel what they feel and get it. Yeah. And I, I feel like I missed that because that's, that's really like one of the main appeals for the first person 
POV for me. Is the emotional attachment you feel to the character and events yeah. they experience? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I would agree that I was definitely more attached to Quoth and Denna through the first book of Name of the Wind than I was to Hadrian and Valka. Valka. Okay, Josh, tell us why we're wrong and Valka is awesome. So I don't know. There is something to me, and I think maybe it was the foreshadowing of just being told, care about this person. I'm like, okay, will do. But um, I think uh, sign me up. <laughs> sign me up. <laughs> I think that she was she was smart. She was like unavailable, but also <laughs> like intriguing. You know mm. what I mean? Like, I think it just had kind of like the all the you know, like all the aspects of like, okay, here's a character that our lead doesn't have access to, but is like there enough to make it so that you can root for him. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it, it was a really fascinating kind of interplay of will they, won't they, in the sense that you already kind of know that it's going to be like a heartbreak for him. See, there wasn't really any like will they for me. There was for me. I don't know. Like maybe it was just like maybe the heavy handedness of like it seems that. like I never got the sense that she was really that interested in him. Yeah. Like in a romantic sexual way. I, I don't know. I I agree and disagree with that. And maybe it's like maybe it was just saying like, oh, the way that she like looked at me or the way that she smiled, or like it, it seemed like he was she was giving him cues enough to like give me hope that she was interested. And that kept me like invested. And maybe that was just like him kind of deluding himself or maybe just maybe heavy handedness and getting the reader to try and care about the relationship. But apparently I feel like it's kind of okay this. because they were so different from each other that it, it seems natural that it would take quite a long time for them to have any like romantic chemistry, or at least, I don't know for him, he seemed to love her right away, but she's older and uh, like in this entirely different group of people that are like way outside of his uh, upbringing. And so there's like all this kind of natural tension and, uh, um, and, and clashing between them. So from her perspective where she is more experienced and I mean, they're both very smart. I don't want to say that one is smarter than the other, but it would be really weird if she was like, yeah, if she was hundred percent in right away, like, like he seems to be. So I right. thought that was, I, I thought that was okay. I, I I like the slow burn, so it'll be interesting to see where it goes in book two. It can't be like too slow that it's like, is this is the heater even on? Like, right, right. I'm gonna I'm gonna put on my uh, psycho analyst hat, which I have no professional credentials to wear. Um, Josh, is is your wife slightly older than you? By <laughs> like six months. And um, is she intelligent? She's super intelligent. Maybe a little emotionally unavailable. <laughs> I don't know if I'd say that. <laughs> I think Josh is just sees himself. Am I just projecting? Josh just sees projecting? himself. Wait, what color? His... What color? What color hair does Valka have? Do, does anyone remember? I thought is it, it was like a crimson black or something like that. Yeah, it was supposed to be like super dark, right? But kind of red. I feel like it's kind of red. <laughs> Josh. Okay. All right. All right. I'm looking at. Um, I don't know here. <laughs> Busted. <laughs> But but yeah, I, I think that uh, it I think took it you a while to woo your wife. Yeah, yeah, it was years, that was years. a long burn. Yeah, 
it was a long burn for sure. I don't. I didn't walk out. She have technological implants like yeah. behind her, behind her neck. <laughs> she can just. I don't know. She turned off the TV a lot, so. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I thought I like, thought that was one of the more. Yeah. I thought that was maybe the most interesting part about her was I don't remember what culture she's from. Can't remember the name, but that whole aspect of like she is basically a witch and heretic in the guise of well she's not even like i I guess i guess she's there but they don't realize like how much of a quote-unquote witch she is right so i I thought that was really interesting and um i'm I'm looking forward to seeing more of that and i think i think his like acceptance of that and and obviously like you know he is not he is no fan of the chantry as well like that that really kind of connected them by the end and that that felt natural and earned i thought it was a i thought it was a good introduction like it's a character that you wouldn't expect him to really be ending up with it's set at odds with a romantic lead like he's supposed to uh be interested mm-hmm. in with or i don't know with if romantic with it but you know like a, a relationship where he's politically supposed to have um, sure. And so the tension is interesting to me. It's kind of like uh, I've just been rewatching Game of Thrones with uh, my wife, and we just we just watched the reigns of Casimir uh, a few weeks ago, which I, I posted some reactions on on yeah. Discord. But something similar, where it's like, okay, well, here's this, you know, wait, how's it similar? <laughs> well, with Rob, I don't want to spoil Game of Thrones, okay. but it's like R- Rob is supposed to have this political relationship, and okay, then forsakes sure, it sure. for. Uh, you know, a person who he falls in love with that's not really in his same like category of person. That is different than the book, right? Something different happens in the book. I haven't read that. the book. I haven't read the book, but in the show, um, shame. you know, shame, Rob... shame, shame. <laughs> okay. Set uh, an aside. I read the first book. I mean, I don't, I don't, season, I don't, I don't remember exactly. More, kept reading the, kept watching yeah. the show instead of reading the books. And then I'm like, well, I'm not going to read all the books right now. Until and then have to reread them all when the next book comes out. You're, so when there is okay, a release Josh. date, when there is you're a release okay, date for the next book, I will read the books. We will forgive okay. you. I don't even remember what it is, but I do remember oh. something was different about. Really? That. Sorry, Josh. You'll you'll reread them for the next book or for the last book? For the next book, when there's a release date for the next book in the series, I'll read the series. And you will wait ten years slash forever. Really? For that ten Spring? years? I, I think that's an optimistic estimate. It is optimistic. Sadly. Okay. All right. Were either one of you guys bothered by the voice for Valka in the audiobook? This was pointed out in the book club Russian. and I, I agreed. I did not like the voice. It did not yeah. sound yeah. Yeah. It, it was not an attractive voice to me. It's like this it it wasn't that it was just Russian, it was like a weird Russian thing. I don't know what was going on there. Yeah. Well, is I don't know if like they were trying to make her sound like exotic or different. That's what it felt like to me. And it didn't bother me, yeah. but I did just read kind of like an opinion piece this morning about narration in fantasy books and how like this person was just like, you know, using the using real world accents to depict characterizations is like problematic, which mm. I had never really thought about before. But now kind of rethinking about Volca, like, I don't know, it it is interesting, you know, like what the uh, that that aspect of interesting is interesting. There are I certainly, how... I mean, I think we can pretty easily imagine ways that that could become problematic. I don't, yeah. I don't want to say that's like happening here. I just, I just didn't no, really but find it, the it, voice appealing. Yeah. I had actually thought about it. This case, like Valka, when I was reading this article, it's kind of an example. So it's just interesting that you brought it up. 
I mean, what alternative is there, though? You just don't use accents? Yeah, or not not like super close comparisons, like real world accents. So you like, make uh, up accents? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Well, I feel like you could use accents, but you don't like use them in order to add your own characterization to the characters. Like, like with Valka being a Russian and cold and detached. Sure. Like this like, character is this negative thing thing so i'm gonna throw this stereotype yeah it's like okay Volka is a, it. I see, I see. yeah Volka is a cold cold detached foreign woman let's make her a, having a eastern european russian accent like that i never felt like she was cold or detached i mean kind of well like you know like she was kind of clinic like clinical i mean she I was nicer know. than most of the other characters in the book <laughs> yeah but she wasn't Maybe it was just because she wasn't. She wasn't like a, a, too emotionally available. open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever he would assume that she was emotionally open, she would kind of shut him, shut him down in some, mm. in some ways. So yeah. Anyway, but yeah, but that's what I mean. Of just like, okay, let's take one trait of this character, assign it to a, assign it to a demographic, and and choose an accent based on that. Okay, let's talk about. I think my favorite aspect of the book, which was the whole you know sci-fi mystery box of the extra Solarians and the Cielsen and the whole end of the book where like these Cielsen have met up with humans in the past, in the past. And what is this exactly? I mean, I think the, the first thing that would jump out to you is like, okay, the extra Solarians are human. And then maybe there's some relation with the quiet. Well, we know the extra Solarians are human. Is that like totally con- yeah, I thought they were like humans that were outside of like the empire. Yeah, I think so. Okay, so we're good there. <laughs> Check that one off. <laughs> but but let's okay, let's follow that. But like let's keep on. I mean, I feel like there's. I guess okay, the Extraslarians maybe are not the more interesting part. But the interesting thing is like this Virgosos planet and the previous connection between the Cielsen and the humans and like what that's going to mean for the future. And in this case, like the setup of the framing story where we know that Hadrian way in the future is like way deep involved in all this and is kind of thrown a wrench in everything and screwed it all up makes, I think the events of this book pretty interesting to like get a look at, you know, this is how it kind of all started. We don't know exactly what happened in between. So I, I think this, I think this is really good. I, I'm interested. Yeah. And I'm really interested in the quiet and specifically why the Cielsen are so similar to the humans in which they have, you know, like two arms, two legs, a mouth, they speak a language, they like have, you know, similar like cultures almost in that they have like a a discernible hierarchy as well as like a sense, a sense of honor. So it it seems like civilized. Yeah. They're not like, they're not, uh, crazy um, alien enemies that are just out for blood. Right, right, and and I, I feel like they. He's even Hadrian has even like mentioned it. Like it's strange to think that like you know the other another alien species that we would like run into in this fight would be so similar to us. And so I think that's something that's going to be addressed in in the future. And so that that's part of it, the compelling mystery to me is like why are the Cielsen so similar and why did the quiet like kind of you know speak to Hadrian or at least the 
the architecture somehow like interacted mm. with Hadrian, whereas it hadn't interacted with anybody else before. So, I mean, it, I think it kind of almost fits that aspect almost fits into like a chosen one type trope where like Hadrian yeah. is, you know, seeing the future a bit and why him and no one else. The Anakin Skywalker moment for him. His Metachlorian counts are <laughs> off the chart. Yeah. Oh, man. Did you get any, for whatever reason, I got, I got like some Halo vibes with the Cielsen. Yeah, I got big, like Elite. Okay. Yeah. Okay, you did? I posted that on the yeah. channel. No one else really commented on it. So I thought maybe I was the only one. And I'm not really like too immersed in the Halo lore, but don't the Elites like worship the Forerunners who had some connection yeah. with humans i don't even Something like know that. exactly yeah. what it is but well yeah. that's that's a whole issue in and of itself because initially the i think in like the first trilogy it was kind of written like humanity was the forerunner but then later on they kind of went back and revised that so the forerunners were separate from humanity hmm. at least that was that's my understanding and i guess you got to watch the tv show to figure out what the real thing is <laughs> I uh I did not get an elite vibe from them because elites are kind of like I don't know like darker skin like with like four mandibles that come together whereas the Cielsen mm-hmm. are like very pale and human like with huge black eyes. Yeah, they weren't described physically the same other than being like larger and alien. So you felt like not exactly like um similarly looking but they just felt kind of similar maybe culturally yeah Yeah. okay which i don't i don't know exactly why i picked and maybe also because you know they were initially fighting against the elites right like they were initially part of the uh whatever the covenant right Mm -hmm. and then they kind of joined up later on and i'm not saying that that is necessarily going to happen with these with the cielsen but but they do seem to be more of like a sympathetic race yeah I mean, that's certainly the way that Adrian is portraying them now as he has like the pathetic for them. But we also know that Hadrian goes to war with them, right? right? And he's like hinted, he's right. like, it's because of me that they're now like humanity's thralls. It seems like he gets kind of like, he gets in with them somehow, which we kind of already get a sense of. And I think he's going to have some kind of like greater good situation happen and he's going to choose the greater good of like saving humanity at the expense of the CLC something I mean he seems like someone who is fairly clinical and making in some in some of the decisions that he's making even though he does show you know a lot more empathy for this alien race than than most around him but still willing to do the hard you know make the hard choice so what was the um what was your guys' understanding of the Cielsen, um, like the, at the whole end of the book? They had come to this planet specifically because of the because of the ruins, ruins right? because yeah. of the ruins, but they didn't expect humans to be there, so they were kind of surprised by that. That does seem a little strange. And then, yeah. um, and then humans captured, and then they got captured by the humans, obviously. They made it seem like it was a suicide mission for the Cielsen, though. Like, I don't think so. Well, I don't think it was. I didn't get that vibe. That's where the the kind of lack of real clear understanding of the technology makes it a little hard to understand. Because it seems like in the future you think they've got enough tech to be able to like know which planets are inhabited and 
where it's safe to go. I'm sure you could explain that somehow, like when they took off before they went into their cryo sleep from wherever they were coming from, it was empty. And then they got there, you know, a few hundred years later and it was inhabited. I don't remember how long exactly it had been inhabited, but obviously there are explanations, but since it's a space opera, like Josh said, a lot of the technology is just kind of magic and it's a little hand. But yeah, I mean, that's essentially what I, what I, uh, my understanding, Ryan, what you just said. And then okay, because he connected with the leader, what was U- Uvenari, right? I think I wrote that down. That C. Elson was kind of on board with what he was saying about these, this is our parents' war, we can do better type thing. Thus was a connection made. And then this will probably be the beginning of, of something as they go off to where Goso. Right. And so at the end of the book, the reason why Hadrian is able to kind of get the assistance from like the head of the imperial military basically is that Hadrian guarantees or not guarantees, but his mission is to try and return the Cielsen to their people and negotiate some sort of truce or understanding between them and the empire. Is that the hope for his mission? I mean, maybe that's his hope, but I kind of got the sense that the Imperial, whatever that title was, is just kind of going to use him. I don't see it going well, but I mean, just the tone of the book, I don't see too much going well. <laughs> yeah. and I mean, isn't that kind of the same with Name of the Wind, though? Yeah, it is. Yeah, they do kind of both have like very um, pessimistic outlooks. Yeah, defeatist. Yeah, like this is all going to crap, but here's the story anyway. yeah so i wonder i mean this is kind of like the debate of name of the wind right where it's it's like does quote story end after day three after book three comes out and he tells like is that where his story ends or do people think it will continue i mean right nobody knows nobody knows it i mean i don't know if patrick patrick Rothfuss. yeah exactly josh josh took the words right out of my mouth and and so (laughs) that's like in Blood Song, he's kind of in, in book one, he's he's telling like going back and telling his story. But at the end of book one, it basically catches up to the present. And then yeah. he kind of goes from there. And I kind I liked that that format of it. I wonder if that's if like the end of book seven will be the end of Hadrian like that's just him telling it seems like his it, right? story and but then it's like if all these bad things have happened and then his story ends, then we're just kind of stuck with whatever crappy situation Hadrian's life got us in. And Hadrian doesn't have an attempt. He can't even attempt to resolve it. You know, it's like, why even read this? I mean, of course. Because you want to see what happens. Yeah. yeah. But no, you're right. Like it, it is a big question of, is anything positive going to come out of any of this? But, but do I want to see what happens if, yeah, that's the, that's the point is because you know that these bad things are going to happen, but you want to see the good that comes from them. Like that's that's the, that's why it's compelling. But at least for me, Hadrian makes it seem like there will be no good that comes from that. Yeah, because for because he's so guilt ridden by the decisions that he's made and by the bad things he's done. But I think there will be good that comes from it and that you as the reader will be able to discern that. I don't know. We'll see. Or maybe it's just a tragedy, right? Maybe it's just a Stephen King book. In the Maybe originals, the in, in the Star Wars, not the originals, in the Star Wars prequels, you know that this little kid's going to become Darth Vader, but you still watch those movies because they are awesome. Exactly. 
no comment. <laughs> I actually do. I, no, I they like. Are. I mostly liked. They're, they're good. Attack of the Clones. Attack of the Clones is a little cringe, but I like those movies. I mean, I was the right age for them. But well, I mean, wasn't I? I feel like the highlight of the prequels was Episode Three: Re- Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. Even though that's Anakin's darkest moment, like you really see like Obi Wan mm. shine as a character, and you see the birth of Luke and Leia. So and there you go, right? See, that's the answer to your question. The that's, of hope. That's why but there's you're... no hope. There's there no could hope be. in sight. There could be hope. There maybe, could be. Maybe current day Hadrian has no hope, but maybe there's something out. Okay. All right. Uh, I feel like that's a pretty a pretty good review, a pretty comprehensive review. Obviously, not everything, but if you are interested in the series, uh, hop on our Discord, please, and let us know uh, your thoughts, what we got wrong, etc., your opinions. We have a dedicated channel where several are continuing through the series and they'll be posting their comments as they go and, and we'll you know probably organize some future chats or something so if you're a fan of the series like definitely pop in and check it out uh if you're interested in any, any other fantasy sci-fi stuff then uh we've covered a lot of those things as well so you can find that all on our website and i think that's a wrap yeah thanks josh thanks ryan thanks thanks steven thanks ryan until book two till book two which ryan has already spoiled his review see you later yeah